irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to Animal News Magazine with Nancy DeFabio, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Can a goldfish be an emotional support animal? Why are Hasidic Jews holding on to their hats? These are just a few of the topics we will be covering today. Hi, I'm William Mayoff. And I am Nancy DeFabio, and welcome to Animal News Magazine. This is a live radio show about animals, and the topics range from animals in science to animals in entertainment to animals in religion to animals in agriculture. And if you stop and think about it, animals play an important role in our daily lives as individuals and as a society. So this show is about increasing our knowledge and understanding of the animal world, and from that information you can draw your own conclusions. And as you'll find out during the show, William and I have drawn our own conclusions. Our guest today, later on, she'll be joining us at about 2.20 p.m. here in Los Angeles, is Ashley Byrne. She's an associate director at PETA, and she's going to talk to us about um, the proposed fan on, uh, ban on fur in New York City, and if we have time, also the proposed ban on fur in Los Angeles. Uh, but before we start, actually, um, before we start, uh, our phone number here, if you want to call, is 323-203-0815. If you have any comments, good or bad, I'm not that sensitive, so you can write me at nancy at animallawlawyer.com. And you can also, uh, if you have any comments for William, you can send them to me, and if he's uh, having a good day, I will pass it on to him. Thank you. I'm always having a good day. We're helping animals there. You know, a good cause, a noble cause. So a man in a movie theater notices what looks like a bat sitting right next to him. Are you a bat? asked the man. He was quite surprised. Yes, said the bat. The man asked, what are you doing at the movies? The bat replied, well, I liked the book. Let's talk about emotional support animals, a.k.a. ESAs, not service animals. What is the difference between a service animal and an emotional support animal, you ask? Well, service animals are defined as dogs that are individually trained to perform tasks for people with disabilities. These tasks can include things like pulling a wheelchair, guiding a person who is visually impaired, or calming a person who suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder. The tasks of a service dog must be directly related to the person's disability. Service dogs may accompany persons with disabilities into places that the public normally goes goes to, such as a government building, retail store, restaurants, and public transportation. The Lawn Service Dogs is governed by the Americans with Disabilities Act otherwise known as the ADA. An emotional support animal, on the other hand, is an animal that provides a therapeutic benefit to its owner through companionship. The animal provides emotional support and comfort to individuals with psychiatric disabilities and other mental impairments. The animal is not specifically trained to perform tasks for a person who suffers from emotional disabilities. Unlike a service animal, an emotional support animal is not granted access to places of public accommodation. In the past few years, the acceptable category of ESAs has spread from mainly cats and dogs to alligators, snakes, peacocks, hedgehogs, goats, spiders, and more. This rise of ESAs and the variety of ESAs has raised concerns by landlords, airlines, and other businesses that many people may be abusing the system. Many pet owners are obtaining phony certifications or letters from online therapists to avoid paying fees or to get permission to bring animals on board a plane, in a restaurant, or in a leased residence that would otherwise not be allowed. In 2011, the National Service Animal Registry, a company that sells official 
looking vaccine certificates for owners had 2,400 service and emotional support animals in its registry. Now the, num- now the numbers reach nearly 200,000. If, if actually, if you go to their website, nsarco.com, Nasarco, I guess, nasarco.com, you can get, I, I, I looked it up, you can get a vest, you can get an ID card, and you can get a prescription online from a mental health professional. All, all this over the internet. Terrible. For a fee, obviously, for any ma- animal, not just cats or dogs, any animal. And I'm going to give you some examples. In 2016, on a Delta flight, someone brought an emotional support turkey on board. A live turkey or dead turkey? <laughs> I'm not even going to answer that. Okay. As their therapeutic companion. Terrible. Is that a true story? Now? Yes, this is on a, an airline in 2016. It was a Delta flight. And it takes away from the people who have legitimate, you know. Absolutely. Support on snakes. Animals. After passengers uh, brought an emotional support. Actually, there were a few emotional support snakes aboard a. Another Delta flight. Um, Delta issued a new rule that you can't have amphibians. In 2018, they said no more amphibians on our planes. Peacocks. I think this was in the news in January 2018. United Airlines told Dolvin that she can't put her peacock. She can't bring her peacock on the plane. Goats on American and Alaska Airlines. Uh, people brought their goats. Nancy, for um, those of us who are not sure, quite sure as to what an amphibian is, what's an amphibian? Well, it's a. Uh, isn't it like a frog or something like that? Frogs. It goes uh, from rep- water to land? Frogs. Yeah, they can live on both water and land. As, uh, but actually, snakes can't. But um, okay. So they're just scratching to see of those that really do need the support, the emotional support animals. Yeah, it's goldfish like, also. So, you know, yeah. And goldfish, really, that it's a mockery. And that reminds me of the people who actually abuse the handicap placards that you have around there. Some people are legitimately hurt just to step out of the animal realm for a minute. Yeah. And then they go ahead and, and uh, abuse those placards, and they park every which way, exactly. bound, and uh, exactly. they pretend they're handicapped. It's a growing problem. How do you right. distinguish a legitimate need from a fraudulent need? Right? If, if, if a person's emotionally or psychiatrically impaired and has an ESA prescribed by a licensed mental health professional, the Fair Housing Amendments Act of 1980 requires landlords to make a reasonable accommodation despite their pet policy and allow the tenant to have the ESA. There are no specified limitations to the animal. An assistance animal is not limited to a cat or a dog. So if the landlord has a cat's only policy, he must accept your ESA if it's a dog. If the policy excludes dogs weighing more than 30 pounds and your ESA ESA weighs 75 pounds, they must disregard the rule for purposes of accommodating you. If they accept all dogs, except pit bulls, and you have a pit bull, your pit bull will be allowed to live with you. So if you're the next door neighbor, I'm sure you'll be the first one to move out. Let me tell you. Yeah, <laughs> you have you. an issue with pit bulls. We often talk about pit bulls, and you often tell me that, that all the scary ones are only the abused ones because become the junkyard dogs, that they're really nice, sweet, loving animals. So I'll keep an open mind there. Uh, and moving forward on exception, though, the assistance animal in question cannot pose a direct threat to health and safety of others. A wild or exotic animal that poses a greater risk of attack or disease to other residents could be denied based on what is called an individualized assessment. Landlords are not required to make a reasonable accommodation under the Fair Housing Act for ESAs in buildings with four or less units where the landlord occupies one of the units. Single-family housing rented without a real estate broker Private clubs, hotels, and motels are not considered dwellings under the Fair Housing Act, but are considered places of public accommodation and regulated under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Documentation is required for ESAs. The tenant must have a letter from a licensed mental health professional, a therapist, a psychologist, psychiatrist, or medical doctor that states the person is under his or her care is emotionally or psychiatrically disabled and that an emotional support animal has been prescribed to that person. Landlords cannot legally ask a tenant to pay a deposit fee or surcharge in exchange for having an ESA. So there's no milking of these tenants. No. Exacting exorbitant amounts of money to bring your you know, ESA animal in Which there. could be a duck or whatever. Well, there's something that made the news. You might cover it later in today's broadcast. Remember you got this guy there with this frilly blouse on 
He's got to support duck. Oh yeah, he, he was a he fought with the landlord, right. but he didn't have any papers for the duck, and uh, and the duck was leaning on his on his uh, yeah. shoulder on his chest. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. So I we, said we, that. We talk, folks out there in animal lovers' land, and uh, and those about to be animal lovers, uh, about topical contemporary uh, stories. These are not relics. This is the stuff. No, this sta- is current. Sta- Actually, it was on Bill Maher, the guy with the duck. Uh, oh, there you go. Stares well, you not the, the guy, but the picture of the guy. With picture the duck. of the duck. This <laughs> is these are trendy topical things. You can make a difference. Uh, you know, helping our critters uh, that make our life more pleasant on this planet. So, so you know, the landlords can't require the ESA have any specific training. It doesn't have to be, you know, you know, uh, a duck with you know, marches lockstep with other ducks. You, uh, a landlord cannot require the ESA to wear or carry any special collar, harness, vest, emblem, or other means of identifying it as such. Landlords cannot inquire about the extent of the disability or ask the detailed medical records. For the individual requesting the emotional support animal, landlords can't refuse to accommodate you or your animal because their insurance policy won't allow a species of breed or weight. You see, I have an issue. I, that goes a little bit too far. I mean, I don't know how how you balance that, you know. Um, if well, your insurance doesn't cover... But actually, um, that well, that kind of... It, it's a concern, but the tenant can be charged for damages caused by the animal. But there's okay. a solution there. You could exact out of the tenant, perhaps. Well, so, you can't so, get a deposit on or anything. No, but you could ask the tenant to buy insurance, perhaps. Well, that's insurance. true. That's true. Cover some, some you know, over-enthusiastic right. duck or yeah. other support animal. And as I said, you can the tenant can be charged for damages caused to the premises. And a very good point that you're saying. Just uh, Pick up your own renter's that, insurance. Yeah. yeah. Renter's insurance. Yeah. You know, t- a tenant may, however, be charged for damages. That's right. what you're discussing, Nancy. Right. A tenant who does not properly manage his or her unruly, unruly uh, emotional support animal can be evicted. Mm-hmm. For example, if you have a dog that barks continuously, that I don't like. Yeah. Okay? In the middle of the <laughs> night, the landlord has the right to evict you. And I don't blame the landlord. There's a limit with my support of animals. I understand. If you have a you pain, need your beauty sleep. Yeah, I, I need get my it. beauty sleep. The dog's barking. Ridiculously, all day, all night. I, I draw my limit to I have credibility. All right. So what do you do when a property manager refuses to comply? What do you do? Well, most landlords are in violation simply because they do not know the law. Failure to accommodate a physically or emotionally impaired person with the supporting documents is a violation of federal law because it is considered discrimination against the disabled person. And against your animal. A client can report the landlord to the U.S. Justice Department and file a complaint for discrimination. The client may sue the landlord or property manager for discrimination. From 2016 to 2017, airlines experienced an increase in support animals, jumping to more than 40%. The Department of Transportation governs the Airline Carrier Access Act. Now we're talking about airlines. Anybody has any questions about landlord tenant issues when it comes to ESAs? Please send us an email, and we'll uh, we'll answer your question or do our best to answer your question. A quick little story here, Nancy. Okay, uh, we were taking a flight. I think I was on a flight with my son, and they had this sizable doggy. Mm. I'm not sure if it was an ESA doggy or a service doggy, but it had a vest, very docile, beautiful, calm, and uh, the passenger. You see them come on board with that dog, sizable dog, and then the pastor did a pen and teller with the dog because it totally it disappeared, we think, under the seat in front. But oh. how that dog stayed for a nonstop flight from like Florida to California was quite amazing. Well, probably some Benadryl. Really? Yeah. Well, we don't want to get any of And I think they're, they're obligated uh, to keep the dog under the seat in front of them. Okay, well. I mean, it, it, different airlines have different rules. Everything worked out well, and fortunately, this dog didn't uh, suffocate uh, as a result of being put in the overhead compartment, as you yeah. heard in the first No, I mean, ones. I would never, I mean, yeah, my dog's going to be on the plane with me, although I don't have a dog, not yet, but I'm working on it. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, continuing on, uh, yeah. the, the, um, the Air Carrier Access Act, ACAA, prohibits any discrimination on the basis of disability in air travel and requires air carriers to accommodate the needs of passengers with disabilities. 
It balances the requirements by giving airlines a lot of liberty on the handling of traveling animals. Under this act, or otherwise known as the ACAA, a wide variety of service animals are permitted in the cabin portion of the aircraft of the aircraft flying to and within the United States. Airlines may exclude animals that are too large or heavy to be accommodated in the cabin, pose a threat to the health or safety of others, cause a significant disruption of cabin service, or are prohibited from entering a foreign country. So I guess there's a couple of countries you couldn't bring a pig on board. Right. right. Well, we've been very lenient, right? Some Islamic country. I don't know if you can go to bring a pig. Or if you're Probably going... not, but it's a good thing to research. Right. Yeah, we got That'll be the next show. Okay? Yeah, exactly. Airlines are never required to accept snakes. Didn't they make a movie about that, Anaconda? Something I don't like, know. I think they did. Uh, never required to accept snakes, reptiles, ferrets, rodents. Sugar gliders and spiders. I don't know what a sugar glider is. Well, I was going to ask you, do you know what a sugar glider is? Sounds like a candy. Enzo, do you know, our producer, do you know what sugar... A squirrel? Okay. Sounds like some kind of Brooklyn, New York candy you get to Coney Island or something. Sugar gliders. We'll have to look that up, okay? You think it's a squirrel? Some kind of squirrel. A number of widely publicized incidents have drawn attention to the SA issue. For example... One of them, you mentioned a few, Nancy. Delta reported a sharp rise in the number of support animals, up 150%. In the past year, it's imposed stricter rules, claiming that there has, there has been an 84% rise in incidents involving disruptive animals. Yeah, I'm going to tell you about um, one particular incident. In 2017, a dog allegedly, we'll use the term allegedly here, mauled a passenger. The passenger's name was Marlon Jackson, he filed a lawsuit, um, I think, last month in May against Delta. Boy, Delta's really always having problems with these animals. Anyway, he filed a lawsuit against Delta. He accuses the airline of negligence after a passenger's ESA, a dog, attacked him on a flight. Jackson said the dog bit him several times, causing him to bleed profusely. It was pretty, pretty bad. Wow. Um, yeah. Then there was Daisy, the emotional support squirrel. Um, Before that squirrel, what was the name of the dog that bit the passenger? I don't know the name of the dog. I don't think it was mentioned in the articles that I read. But uh, th- that he, this guy was, if if what he says in his lawsuit is true, uh, there's, it's bad. But what's the responsibility of the airline? Does the airline have to screen these animals, check them for stability? Well, if you've got all your papers, and every airline is different, if you've got you know, a document from a mental health professional, and it's a dog, and the dog is behaving while he's boarding the plane. I mean, if there are no signs, I don't know the you know, oldie. I've give credit to the airline for preventing the dog on, but we don't want wild animals on board either. Maybe we can install appropriate video cameras. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But they're not all like that. Then there's Daisy. Daisy's the emotional support squirrel, and this was a frontier flight. Rodents, uh, including squirrels, mice. Uh, rats are not allowed on frontier flights. And the passenger, um, she was notified of this. Her name is Cindy Torque. She was told, uh, this is our policy, you have to deplane. And she refused to get off the flight. So they had to call Orlando police. The police came on board. They had to get... Mr. Connecting flights and were inconvenienced. So, yeah, everybody was thinking. So she got off the plane and took her squirrel with her, and that was that. So... But are you saying Frontier did not permit entry to the aircraft because there was this ESA squirrel? Yes, because they don't allow squirrels. But my question, though, is somebody before she boarded the plane must have seen the squirrel. And, you know, I mean... Well, t- I think it starts with TSA. I think TSA talked about some deficiencies. Right. I mean, how do you hide your squirrel? I don't right. know. I don't know, but the TSA should be doing a better job hunting those squirrels down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, and I haven't got through the x-ray machine at the squirrel. It squirreled away? It squirreled it's away. Squirreled away. <laughs> How do you get the squirrel through the x-ray machine? Come on. So um, I'm worried about our security. So I, we're going to get on the phone in about a minute uh, with Ashley Byrne. We're going to talk about um, the proposed fur ban in New York. Uh, it was... And, um, and a proposed one in L.A.? Actually, even in L.A., but L.A., they, they got a, they, they, 
the the one in LA, they it was passed. Well, it was not passed unanimously, so it has to go back to the council okay. for a for a majority vote. So it's the, just a matter of time before the ban in LA passes. The future cometh. If folks want to get a hold of you, Nancy, or a website so, or an email address see, or maybe a she's phone calling. number. Hello, this is Nancy. Hi, Nancy. This is Ashley Byrne from PETA. Hello, Ashley. Thanks for calling. You're on LA Talk Radio, Animal News Magazine with me, Nancy, and my guest host for a while now. William Mayoff here. Welcome, welcome. Your call's very much appreciated. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. So we just got started on talking about the fur band in New York. Uh, can you tell us a little bit uh, what this is about and how uh, PETA is involved in it? Absolutely. Um, well, uh, New York... Um, now, oh, first has, of all, let me tell you, what uh, your, your associate director, PETA, what, what, what is that? What do you do there? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I, I, I do a variety of, of things with PETA. Um, I mean, I work on campaigns. I work on some of our legislative issues, um, including the fur ban um, that we're trying to pass in New York because I'm located here in New York City. Um, and, um, you know, I, just a, a wide variety of things, you know, go to some of our, um, the uh, annual meetings of the different corporations that we hold stock in to try and push them towards more animal-friendly policies. Um, so just a variety of things across the board. Okay, what about your campaign in New York? What's that about for the fur ban? Well, uh, you know, I, we were very um, thrilled when um, the city council speaker, Corey Johnson, um, just in the last handful of months, introduced a bill that would ban the sale of fur in New York City. Um, we feel that this is long overdue uh, because, of course, as you know, Los Angeles has passed a fur ban. West Hollywood passed a fur ban. Uh, San Francisco, Berkeley passed fur bans. And now the entire state of California is looking at one. Um, so it's just, it, it is absolutely the right thing for a progressive city like New York to ban the sale of fur as well. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, we know that the retailers are screaming and the manufacturers screaming, uh, you know, that it's going to ruin their business and all that. And another, another show I'm going to talk about, about that. But um, have you, what about Councilman? I heard that, what do you know about Councilman uh, Chaim Deutsch? He's, now, there's a religious exemption in the ban, isn't there? There is, which um, I, I know that this has been the case with at least uh, you know, a couple of the bands in California, um, there's a religious exemption written in just, you know, so we uh, don't um, run into any constitutional issues um, that, that would uh, exempt fur that is being um, manufactured or sold for um, religious purposes. Hey, William, why don't you read, just like, why why don't you read what the First Amendment reads? I have, because I want to talk about this a little bit with you, Ashley. Uh, The First Amendment right, the religious exemption. What does it read? What does it say? Right. Well, the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Okay, so, so that's the, the they the, can't interfere. The establishment they can't really interfere with one's practice of religion as long as it's not, you know, a cult and you're hurting people. Right, exactly. Right. So right. this is the exercise, the free exercise clause, the establishment clause. Right. So Ashley, oh, right. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and the main reason that this is written in for anyone who's not familiar with, um, you know, with New York, is that we have a very large um, popula- Hasidic Jewish population here. And, um, and they, you know, they, they do have, um, fur hats that, um, you know, that, um, that the men wear. Yeah. This, look, obviously we would love to see a world where no animal, um, is suffering for clothing of any kind ever. However, we realized that, you know, this is a very small concession to make sure that this law wouldn't. Um, come up against the constitutional challenge. And, um, you know, the, the good that this law will do is absolutely worth, you know, writing in this, you know, this, uh, this small exemption to, to protect it. So um, 
I just want to, about this whole Hasidic community, I want to say something. Then I want to I want to talk to you about how fur is made. Um, so this uh, councilman, Chaim Deutsch, he's an Orthodox Jew from Brooklyn. He said even with the religious exemption, he opposes the ban. He's not even with the religious he, he said, I don't know if you heard this, but he said that if we, um, I'm quoting him, if we ban, again, Deutsch is his name, if we ban fur, and then you have people that are still out there wearing it, like these uh, Hasidic people, Jews who are wearing, what do you call them, uh, William? Spodics? What do you, shrim, what do you call these? Stremel, stremel, stremel. S-T-R-E-I-M-E-L. Yeah, Ashley, listen to this. Considering the fact that hate crime in New York City is on the rise, people will be targeted on the streets saying, why are you wearing this? There's a fur ban. So in other words, all the people in New York City are going to be attacking these men with these hats because there's fur on them. That's his argument, despite that's, the religious... That's, that's simply not Isn't that true. insane? I, I think he... And I think he... I think he knows it's not. It's it's not true. This um, and, you know what I believe it is, um, Ashley? And you tell me if you agree or not. Since you're in the trenches there, you're right in the front lines. Um, in 1910, three-quarters of the furriers in New York were Jews. And many immigrated from Eastern Europe, and they actually had that talent. They were furriers. So even if now only 5% of the furriers in New York are Hasidics, okay, that's a big business. It's a multimillion-dollar business. So it's a lot of millions of dollars for a very small community. So you know what I think is going on? Because there are a lot of rabbis out there and very prominent rabbis who say, no, you don't have to wear fur. Like in Israel, most of them wear synthetic fur. I think that it's about the money. I don't think it's about their religious practices. That's what I think. Well, you know, and and I would say, again, I don't believe for a second that anyone thinks um, that that what he's saying will actually happen. I don't think so. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that, We've seen a lot of lobbying against this bill. Um, it's it's really exclusively happened by, um, you know, business businesses with a financial interest in fur. What's interesting though is to me is that you know you even mentioned before retailers, furriers. You're not. We haven't seen any mainstream retailers coming out, um, you know, against this ban. Hmm. I mean, we haven't seen. Um, any any you know, big chains coming in and saying that they have an issue with this, big designers. It's really just been actual, um, just actual furriers. And um, mm, and I'm guessing I'm guessing that they are trying to you know they're trying to hide behind any excuse that they can. And I think that includes you know includes this. I think that they are trying to throw anything they can against the wall and see if it sticks. And I think that you know that's kind of what we're seeing here. They're trying to, um, you know, use religion as an excuse when we, you know, that, that, that's, uh, you know, cer- certainly not the focus of the bill by any means. It's never been the focus of activists. It's just, it's, it's a very weak argument. Ashley, William Mayock here. I've done some of my own uh, research here before airtime, okay? There's so many uh, synthetic approaches they can use instead of taking these, and I had the whole list of this stuff I should... I try to reach for my uh, research here, but they use mink pelts and marten and all these right. animals. Sables. Uh, sables. And how many per per hat? We're talking stremels now. I think okay. 30. How many? Actually, do you know how many of these mink tails we need per hat? I don't know. I think we need 30. Um, yeah, I don't. Okay. Um, but, 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 yeah, actually, I, mean, look, I, I think everybody's always pretty astounded to learn how many animals go into a single garment. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's, it's a horror story. I, I, you know, let, yeah. let me say a couple of things, if if I could. I um, there, there's uh, streams of Judaism. I'm not picking on one religion or anything at all, but the Chabad Lubavitch folks. Okay, they have Hasidic Jews who don't wear the Dremels. That's number one. We could start a trend. Who knows? And then they have amazing techniques, and Nancy could vouch for this, where they can make them synthetically, and you're not you're not having to kill and torture animals. Who God knows how they trap these animals, and it's it, you, you know and. It, this 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 less intrusive, vicious, cruel means, and uh, here it says here the Stremels made of fur from the tails of Canadian or Russian sable, stone marten, baum marten, or American gray fox, typically made of tips of sable, mink marten, or fox tails. Thirty Ashley, check this out. Thirty animal pelts are used for each hat. Thirty. And they cost anywhere from a thousand to six thousand bucks. Okay, I, I'm of the Jewish persuasion. We can be. We're very innovative and all that. We don't want to torture animals. We believe in the ten, the, the ten uh, commandments and all that. And and we can be progressive. 
and, and, and really, and do things that, that kosher laws, you kill the animal, if you want to eat animals, they, the carotid artery in the least painful way. It has to be some, um, you know, uh, different uh, ways to look at Well, actually, things. it's against the Torah or the Talmud yeah, to, to do this. But I want to talk a little bit about um, how they're, how, do they raise these minks? I mean, how, how, how is fur made? How do, you, how do you get a fur coat? Well, um, you know, the most common um, way is by is fur farming. Most fur that is used now comes from animals who are raised on fur farms, whether you're talking about minks, foxes, um, chinchillas. Most of them are raised on fur farms, which are essentially factory farms. Um, you know, they're usually raised outside. Um, or, or in a very exposed, even if you know they're in a big shed or something, um, in, a, in an environment where they're exposed to all weather extremes. They're crammed in tiny cages, which is not natural for any of these animals. And some of them are solitary animals, but they're forced to live in very small quarters with other animals. Um, I mean, the confinement drives them crazy. And we see animals doing things that they simply would not do in the wild, like cannibalizing one another. Hmm. Um, oh, you know, true. just I- exhibiting signs wow. of stress, like uh, you know, pacing and turning in rapid circles. Um, they get no vet care. Um, so if they are wounded, if they are sick, I mean, it's just not in the financial interest of the people raising them to do anything for them. So they're left to languish and often languish and often die in cages. And you'll see live and dead animals crammed into these small cages together. Um, they live in their own filth which, again, they would never do naturally. Mm, right. Um, they're just deprived of everything natural to them. And then when it's time for them to be killed, uh, they're killed in gruesome ways. Everything from, you know, being gassed, which often doesn't work because when, in, when these animals are gassed, they're usually crammed together into a big chamber and gassed. And then, you know, some of them die, some of them don't. We've seen animals uh, come to while they're being skinned. I mean, literally being terrible. skinned alive. When you say we've horrific. seen this, do you have this on video or how do, who's seen oh, yeah. this? Yeah, we, we have this on video. A- we actually, have, um, actually, is this, mm-hmm. are you yeah. talking fur coats or pelts in general? You're talking about the Hasidic hat, the Stremel? Oh, no, I'm, I'm talking about fur in general. I'm talking about the, the fur that you're going to find if you're buying any kind of fur garment in, gotcha. you know, um, in so a we want to distinguish. store. I mean, this is... One is the one of the stringers to Stremel. And that's bad enough by itself. And then just, we have to convince Madonna to lay off her and all that and persuade all her followers and all that, that it's inhuman, well, inhuman and, and all this. So many, so many celebrities have sworn it off, which is wonderful. I mean, right. you know, I know PETA, we have worked with just countless celebrities on anti-fur campaigns. Um, and, you know, a lot of them who are wearing it, they're not even really thinking about it. They get so many things for free. People just send them things. And a lot of the time we would write them a letter and just say, let us tell you a little bit more about this, you know, this fur that you were photographed in. A lot of them actually will swear it off after that. See? So, um, but I, just to, to quickly go back to, to what we were talking about. I mean, the gassing isn't the only way that they're killed. I mean, sometimes it's anal or vaginal electrocution. Um, they're poisoned. Sometimes they're just beaten to death. And those are animals on the fur farms. Um, trapping is, is a, a whole other nightmare. Um, I mean, traps don't discriminate. They just catch whoever's unlucky enough to, to step into them. Actually, so where can we see this? The animals where can we see this? Are, are, sorry? The website, where can we see this? This should be exposed. You can go to PETA, PETA.org. You can see um, videos. You can read about it. You can read about the companies that are and aren't supporting Just go to um, PETA's you know, website. Go to PETA's website. website. Sorry, I'm we just go to your website. We find all that stuff. Yes, you can just go go to our website, and all of it's there. Um, and again, anyone who thinks that this sounds too crazy to be true can watch it for themselves. Gotcha. Um, that's that's what I always tell people. I mean, just we watch so much it ap- and and yeah. see if you can can live with it. We so much appreciate <laughs> your work. We so much appreciate your work. You know. And for vanity to wear it around your neck and as well, a fur actually, coat. that's a good point. You just said the right term. Do you know that um, you know the black community has also come out against it, saying that it uh, it's a sign, it's a symbol of success for them. Have you heard about this from uh, from New York? You know, yeah, and and I really would like to address that because that is largely um, a manufactured uh, uh, a, a manufactured uh, um, argument movement. I mean. Wow. Well, well, yes, because really, 
um, that, that's, that's not, I mean, we, we have so many members of the black community who are um, who are part of the fight to pass this ban. There have been several op-eds from, um, you know, uh, different black animal rights activists wow. who um, are explaining why they are so uh, bothered and offended by by this narrative that's kind of trying to speak for the whole black community and say that that um, you know that that black Good. people support the fur industry. I mean, frankly, um, you know, we've traced this back to uh, you know to to where it started in terms of the New York City ban. It was just a scheme of a of a lobbying um, organization. Oh. I mean, it was a it was a lobbying firm that was paid a great deal of money to find someone who would um, who would kind of be the face of this, and they did. Um, and, you know, I mean, there, there was, um, I believe it was the head of, um, of Black Veg Fest who recently posted an op-ed, or sorry, published an op-ed in the New York Daily News that exposed that um, the, you know, the, the reverend who's been the face of this pro-fur campaign um, are you referring to Johnny Green being, Jr.? Are you referring to Reverend Johnny yes, Green? Yeah. Yes. He's, he's on. He has a long history of being, um, you know, paid by lobbying firms. And, you know, when, when he was reaching out to his constituents, asking them to come to these rallies, he never even told them what they were coming for. Uh-huh. Uh, it was billed as, you know, come on this field trip to City Hall. Um, people had a chance to, um, you know, win a free gift card. Um, and people didn't. He really didn't even make it clear in his promotion what he was asking people to come out for. So, you know, this this has just very much been something manufactured by lobbyists, whereas on, um, you know, on the side that's in favor of, of banning uh, fur, I mean, if you were in um, city council chambers on the day that the hearing, um, you know, that we had a hearing uh, for people to come out and talk about the ban, there were... So many uh, African American activists who spoke so powerfully and persuasively about why they felt that fur should be banned and why they were furious that the African American community was being used, um, you know, as as a as a way to try and block this progressive legislation. Um, and again, you know, I, I it's I I don't even want to speak to, for them because there have just been so many great op-eds and testimonies where they've they've put all the arguments out themselves as to as to why um, you know this effort by lo- lobbyists to cynically um, use this argument to try and block this ban is just really offensive. So we appreciate. Um, and I encourage any anyone to to look these up and read them. Right. We appreciate your thoroughness and comprehensiveness. Yeah, let me. I just gotta say something here. You know, it's one thing for the carnivores to go ahead and say, well, I want to eat my steak or my meat. And, and the, the, you know, the guys, you know, they're eating in a good state, whatever. They're eat- it's another thing totally when for vanity. Right. You know, something so past, say, the 50s, 60s, whatever it is, to wear it on your back. I just got to say that. That just, that just, as you said, you know, you gas these animals, you electric them, to wear it on your back. I mean, it's not... And who sells vanity more than Chanel or Versace? They, they banned first. And they denounced it and all Prada, Fendi. Beautiful. I right. mean, who sells... I mean, you pay a lot of money for, for Say vanity. Say those names again, Nancy. Who was... Who, these great corporate citizens that have been actually banned. well, Say their names again. Ashley probably has a, a better the list. list P- Peter but... probably has the list, right, Peter? Oh, oh we, we, we've seen so many huge designers and fashion houses banning for joining like a new wave. I mean, there were so many big ones who already had like Calvin Klein, Ralph Lauren, Tommy Hilfiger, Vivian Westwood. Obviously, Stella McCartney has never Absolutely, been yeah. willing to work with it in the first place. But in the past few years, we've seen a huge new wave of designers like and, and fashion uh, houses like Versace, mm-hmm. Gucci, um, Burberry. Uh, Even Burberry. Michael that's Ford. good news because I couldn't stand those people. I'm happy to hear that, that Burberry's uh, given Even up Burberry, for... Good. Right. It, it, it's really <laughs> been incredible, just one after another. And I have to say, um, we believe that that is part of the reason why we are seeing this very well-funded pushback by furriers and by the fur industry um, to this bill in New York. I think that they know their industry is, is dying. It's on the way out. Mm. And this is just a desperate um, attempt to 
slow slow it down. Ashley, you're uh, you're the best. Fact. Ashley, you're the best. Very quick. Let me ask you. Let me say very quick. You're aware of Beyond Meat and the Impossible Burger, right? Right. I couldn't resist. I had to throw that in there. That's a great advancement, and they're hitting like wildfire. So less animal consumption. Even carnivores are going towards Beyond Meat and and, and the Impossible. Nancy, I had to stick that in. You'll forgive me. Okay. okay that's another. Show. Ashley, you're on top of that, right? <laughs> Ashley, you're happy about that. <laughs> Oh, you know, yeah. Actually, and it's interesting that you bring it up because it's another thing where we're corporate, you know, corporate America can't race quickly enough to to get in on, you know, on the plant based uh, trend. And we're seeing these vegan burgers popping up on, you know, on the menus of fast food chains, of, you know, just um, of all the huge restaurant chains across the country to the point where, you know, I, I think I, I caught I think you off guard, people, Ashley. People go I, to these restaurants, yeah. and if they can't get one, they're docked. You know, right. if they don't see it on the menu, right. they're surprised, which was not the case all that long ago. That's true. Amen. We've come a long way. I Amen. became a vegetarian, what, uh, 30 I, years ago or you're something? O- you're only 30, and all I so ate was beans birth. and more beans, and now yeah. it's amazing what they have out there. <laughs> And I'm, I'm vegetarian. I'm on the way to veganism. Actually, I'm, I'm a vegetarian. vegan now, but then it was, uh, yeah. But it's a good, it's a good time to be a vegan or vegetarian. That's for sure. So, so it is, and it's, and it's interesting that you did bring the food part into it because that's the thing. You know, I think, you know, I'm guessing that all of us have been doing this for a very long time yeah. for ethical reasons because we know that this is what's right. But, um. You know, the, the big corporate interests out there, I was going to say corporate America, but it's not just America. I mean, internationally, these, you know, these large companies have realized that because consumers are more interested in making ethical choices and making healthy choices and making right. choices that are better for the environment, right. it helps their bottom line to get in on this, whether we're talking about plant-based meat or whether we're talking about, um, you know, faux fur, and we're seeing fantastic developments um, that are being driven by this consumer interest. Um, you know, I mean, because it's it's inspiring more research, more development. We're seeing things like, um, you know, recently the first biodegradable faux fur um, was developed, and oh, I wow. think you know we're we're going to be seeing that on the market soon. Stella McCartney uses faux fur that's extremely eco friendly. Um, we're, we're just seeing these great developments that are, um, you know, it, so it's not just that we have faux fur, vegan leather, plant, plant-based meat. All of these products are just continue to get better because of the just huge consumer interest. So there is, because there is an argument that says, no, uh, it, it, fake fur is not eco-friendly. It, um, it uses chemicals right. that hurt the environment. So we have a solution for that. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because one of the fur industry's biggest talking points right now, you know, they, they want to keep bringing that up. And the answer to that is twofold. First of all, if you actually look at the numbers, if you look at the facts and figures, e- even just standard faux fur, you know, the, the stuff on the shelves that we've had on the shelves for years is more eco-friendly than a real fur garment because for a, for a few different reasons. I mean, first of all, because I think we all know animal farming is totally unsustainable. Um, these animals are raised in factory farm conditions. Fur farms in the U.S. have been cited again and again by the EPA for things like leaking animal waste into, um, you know, uh, groundwater mm-hmm. and uh, soil surrounding the farm wow. for, the, for leaking toxic chemicals. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you can't think about what would happen, you know, if you hung an just untreated piece of fur in your closet, it would rot. Um, so these, these uh, fur garments have to be treated with extremely toxic carcinogenic chemicals to keep those furs from rotting off the hangers. Um, and, you know, so between the, the vast amounts of energy, greenhouse gases that are used just to keep these, um, these farms running... And then the, the chemicals that you have to use to treat a fur coat, a real fur coat is just an environmental nightmare. But on top of that, then you've got the fact that, you know, what I always tell people is with animal farming, you've got what you've got. You know, it, you really aren't going to make very many advances or changes with that because it is what it is. Um, you know, they, they, they just can't, you can't change that much about the way they do it. With plant-based meat, with, uh, you know, faux fur, you can just keep tweaking and advancing and, you know, 
adding these new scientific developments. And so we are seeing things now like um, biodegradable fur, faux fur that's made from recycled plastics. Um, you know, so basically faux fur, vegan leather, they just keep getting more environmentally friendly. The battle stuff, it stays the same. All they can really do is slap new labels on it. You it's know, true. they can call it green. It doesn't make it any better than it was 10 years ago, but, you know, they're, they're going to keep trying to pitch it that way. But the, the truth is that, you know, the vegan materials keep getting better. They keep getting more eco-friendly. But frankly, they were, they were better than the other stuff 10 to begin years with. ago, 20 years ago, and they, they still are. Yeah. Ashley's so well so, versed. She's so, a cool guest. So, I love her. Yeah, we're going to have you back on if, oh, you, if you don't mind, Ashley, but um, the, at, at another time. That. It's the so let, let's talk. You were at the were you at the hearing in New York when they had it? I think it was in May of this year, March, whenever it was. Were you there? I was, yes, and I testified on Peter's behalf. And wow. who was what was going on outside? I heard that uh, some guy from Runway Project Runway was. Uh, what was going on outside? Oh yeah, well, um, we uh, had a very large rally outside on the steps of City Hall in support of the ban. Um, and Tim Gunn, who um, him, that's right, has Tim. you know he. I mean, he's, he's an important figure in the fashion industry for so many reasons, but I think most people know him as one of the hosts of Project Runway. Right. Um, he attended, he testified, he spoke very eloquently about why it's time for a ban on fur. Um, and we, you know, we were thrilled to have his support. He's been, um, he's, he's been a, a very um, vocal uh figure against fur in the fashion industry for many years he was ahead of his time and now you know they're finally catching up there was this i don't know if he's a rapper some guy showed up with a fur coat i'm trying to find his name and he wasn't oh i know (laughs) safari yeah yeah safari he was uh, there i mean i hear that this guy's got lots of fur coats what's what's up with him what was he doing there was he paid? I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's no doubt that he was compensated um, to be there. And that's one thing that I always tell people. When you see someone coming out for an industry like the fur industry, um, they are definitely receiving compensation uh, to be there. Nobody, nobody, you know, has such a passion deep down in their hearts for fur that they're going to come out. If, they, if they're there, they have a financial interest. Whereas the people on our side, the celebrities who take part in PETA's campaigns, for instance, against fur, um, you know, uh, in favor of veganism, anything like that, they are not paid. They're never paid. They're there because they stand behind what they're saying and they feel yeah. that it's important and they, you know, they want their fans to know about it. Um, but I, I think it's very safe to say that Safari was compensated for his role. And I have to say, you know, he was really kind of taken apart for it on his social media accounts. I mean, his fans were not happy with what he was doing oh, at all. Wow. And that was very evident. Good. You mm-hmm. see, that's good. That's good. That, that... Ashley, in our concluding minutes, do you have a couple of sentences with regard to Amish poppy mills? You know, I have to say, um, Amish or otherwise, when people see a cute puppy um, in the in the window of a pet store, if they had to look at the backstory, if they had to look at the conditions that that puppy's mom was living on in a puppy mill, um, you know, just being bred over and over and over again until their bodies are so worn out that they look like an elderly dog when they're two years old. Um, if they could see the crowding, if they could see the sick and, uh, you know, injured and deformed puppies who never make it to the stores, um, they, I, I swear, nobody would ever... Um, you know, make that impulse buy it at the pet store and take one of these dogs home with them because it's supporting something that is so cruel and doing so when there are so many dogs who are just perfect, um, you know, who are just as, as loving and sweet and deserving of good homes who are waiting in shelters for someone to adopt right, them. Right. Um, I, you know, I, I really think that, um, if people were doing their research, I just don't think they'd ever want to support that. I appreciate you saying the backstory. Right. Rewind the tape and see the ancestor, the cute little puppy in the window. I don't want to. We don't want to unduly pick on anyone, but we've done a show on that. Well, a few actually, yeah, a not few on shows. purpose. Just new information kept coming we, up. We don't want to pick on anyone in particular, but the Amish seem to be active participants in that <laughs> and using their seclusion in their favor to go ahead and have these poor animals 
the, the mills, you know, travel in, in, in temperate conditions of cold, 30 hours in cold, 30 hours in heat, truck back and forth. Horrible, horrible escaping conditions. Escaping the laws, you know, circumventing laws and all that. So I was wondering, you got, you're obviously on top of the, those issues also. Well, and that's, you know, you're making a very good point that whether you're talking about puppy mills or, you know, a, a pig factory farm or, you know, a, a place that's farming minks, seclusion always works in the favor of, um, you know, of these animal the agriculture perps, operations. The perpetrators. They, they rely on being out of out of the public eye. Yeah. If people were seeing the truth, they wouldn't be supporting it. Right. Um, and so that's why you don't see um, most of this happening anywhere near a city center. That's why you don't see, you know, and a lot of these places now are kind of trying to counter, um, you know, the videos, the undercover videos that people are seeing online by saying, oh, you can come tour our facility or, you know, or putting out their own videos. Well, you know, I think we all know that it's very easy to prepare for a visitor who you know you're going to Absolutely. have. Absolutely, yeah, it's so ridiculous. Up, yeah. yeah, to set up a nice visitor yeah. center and make things look good. But, you know, if someone, I think, you know, we have proved again and again that if someone shows up when you're not expecting them and takes a video in the area that you that you you know didn't let them into willingly you find a you find a very different picture right and that's another topic also for another show that i'd like you to come on and talk about the ag gag logs ashley we want you back oh i'd be delighted yeah we need to talk about the uh, yeah wonderful talking to you i actually we really appreciate your 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 good service and uh i'll be in touch with you soon but uh, we need to wrap it up. So thanks a lot, Ashley. Thank thanks you for so much, Ashley. Look forward to having you again, really. Okay. Thank you. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. Bye. Bye. Have Bye. a wonderful day. You Bye. too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. So thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for spending this time with us. And until next time, have a, a good uh, life. And you can email us at nancy at animallawyer.com. And well, I have one concluding thought, okay? Be the person your dog thinks you are. Be the person your talk thinks you are. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye-bye. You're listening to Animal News Magazine with Nancy DeFabio, only on L.A. Talk Radio.